Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. This is the podcast that brings you the greatest innovation change makers in the world of insurance and insure tech. We speak to innovation leaders from carriers and brokers. We speak to insure tech founders and C-suite executives. And we bring you all of the people that add value to that community, whether it be private equity, venture capitalists, or even people like organizational psychologists and thought leaders and futurists. We try really hard to bring you the most innovative people in the world of insurance on a global basis. So with that in mind, we'd love your support. So please like, share, follow or subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Alex Bond. Welcome to the Leadership Insurance Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is a leading insurtech specialist recruitment business that operates on a global basis. We have delivered assignments across North America, throughout Europe and into Asia. We are super excited to speak to anyone who has some recruitment challenges that is either starting or scaling a business. And we're confident we can help you find the people to help you innovate the world of insurance one new hire at a time please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com for more information. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Chris, who is Product Evangelist uh, for Bold Penguin. Um, Chris, good morning. How are you? I'm good. How's it going? Yeah, no, very good. Very good. And uh, I was being all sycophantic off air, so I can't hide away from it. But uh, you've you've been on our wish list of podcast guests, so I'm really, really pleased we found the time. So thank you very much for joining us. Absolutely. Um, as is as is tradition uh, on the Leadership and Insurance podcast, um, we always throw it open to our guests to introduce themselves and the business that they represent, because uh, you know we're always frightened of making a mess of it. So it'd be wonderful if you could uh, you could intro yourself and, and the Bold Penguin business. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my name is Chris Cheatham. Um, as you probably see with my hat, I'm based out of Kansas City here in the middle of the United States. Um, I'm the product evangelist at Bold Penguin. So Bold Penguin does uh, basically quote and bind for small business insurance. We work with agents and carriers that are looking to sell insurance to small businesses here in the United States. Um, We have a number of products that help people do that. Uh, Here as as the product evangelist, I basically just go out and talk to people, Uh, try to help where I can. Uh, Sometimes that involves helping people understand what Bold Penguin does and maybe how the product can help them. Oftentimes it does not have anything to do with actually, you know, promoting Bold Penguin. It's like helping startups figure out what they're going to do or helping people understand the overall commercial market segment. And a lot of times it's just jumping on podcasts and webinars and things like this as well and just seeing what's going on. Spreading, spreading the good word. Thank you. Uh, that's really, really helpful. Um, I, I, I've got to get to this. And, and I shamelessly spent a lot of time uh, crafting a, a message I sent to you once, which is being really nerdy about Star Wars because I'm a massive Star Wars nerd. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I want to know where it came from. Where, where did this where did this Luke Skywalker of uh, insurance policies uh, t- come from? Uh, yeah. And is it, is it self-titled or, or, did, or did someone bring it up for you? Yeah, so there's a kind of a longer backstory to this. So back when I was just starting Risk Genius, that's around kind of 2015 or sometime around there, um, I was also working on LinkedIn and trying to hone my message there and trying to raise money from VCs and all that stuff. 
And I was a little bit frustrated, I remember, with the kind of fundraising process, like everyone is whenever they do it, because it's really hard. And just happened to be updating my kind of LinkedIn profile and was listening to what I call my angry rap music, which is, this is like going even before the Luke Skywalker thing. So I was listening to Dr. Dre, who's a famous rap artist here in the United States. Mm -hmm. And um, I, just on a whim, I put in my LinkedIn profile, Dr. Dre of insurance, just made no sense, but I was like, it amused me. So I put it in there <laughs> and I just, I, it was really weird because I started going to conferences and it started sticking and people would be like, what's up, Dre? And I'd be like, oh, I don't know what you're talking And I was like, oh, is this, and then I like kind of started enjoying it. And um, at one point, this, this kind of online publication called Startland News wrote about me being the Dr. Dre of insurance and that kind of stuck. So I did that for a while. And then like, as we started kind of becoming, I guess a little bit more corporate, bigger, you know, more eyeballs, I decided to make it a little more PC. Um, Dr. Dre doesn't have the softest lyrics if you listen to yeah. his rap yeah. music. Yeah. Although I'm letting my kids listen to it now, which is like, I like it, but I don't like it. I'm not sure if I should be doing that, but who knows. <laughs> um, so I changed it. I think the new Star Wars had come out sometime around this time period. So I know I threw up the Luke Skywalker of insurance. Um, there was also a period of time because Luke Skywalker is not up there anymore. There was also then a period of time when I had up um, Big Head of Insurance, which is a reference to the TV show Silicon Valley. And right, Big yeah. Head, who's like, this funny character who sells his company and finds himself in ridiculous situations. And so I thought that was kind of funny, but uh, decided with the team here that I should probably take that down. So now it's just like insure, making insure tech things happen, which is like the most bland PC thing to possibly have up there, but it is where I'm at in life. So here we are. That's, that's, uh, that. I love a lot of that and it makes me a little bit sad towards the end. It's, it's, it's <laughs> like, you know, that's, this, that's the corporatization of an acquisition. That's, that's what happened. That's the journey all reflected in LinkedIn profile names. Absolutely. But, I actually uh, think it's a great story now that I think about uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it's now got me thinking that, you know, I've got that freedom. This is my company. We are a recruitment business. We're always kind of about being on LinkedIn and being kind of noticeable. So I'm trying yeah. to think what film character I'm instantly thinking oh, I need to be Morpheus because I can give the pill to wake up and some rude awakenings about your recruitment strategy um that's and, actually and, really good you know i saw when i saw you on screen that last night i went to a concert uh boney Vare, which is a, a musical band in the united states yeah and the lead singer is like kind of bald and he but he came on stage you now you'd have to add a headband but he had a headband he was bald and he had ear earphones on like you yeah and, a beard. and i was like oh, that looks exactly like the guy i saw playing music last night here in kansas city so Oh, Maybe that's cool. Yeah. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that cool, cool. That's a cool band as well. So yeah, no, yeah. I'll take front man of uh, maybe that. We'll try and make it happen from here. We, this was the starting point of that. But um, uh, joking aside, it's, it's really interesting that your journey. And I, I did want to go back to kind of this genius and, and, and understand that business because what I wanted to understand was, you know, we are entering into space. Well, I mean, you, you may or may not agree, but just to get your uh, thoughts on this. It is a bit more difficult for, for, for earlier stage businesses in the insure tech space at the moment, seemingly to raise capital. We're seeing that. Um, do you think we're going to see a, sort of a, a spate of M&A activity from some of the larger insure techs? Is that something that you think might happen in the next kind of 12 to 18 months? 
I don't know if it's going to be the larger insure tax acquiring companies. I, I think it actually might be some of the more traditional companies out there, like maybe carriers or agencies yeah. that start acquiring insure tax because yeah. like the insure tax need a, right now they don't generally, and this is all generally speaking, right? But generally speaking, like insure tax that particularly that have not exited or gone IPO or sold to someone, they are dealing with lower valuations. They're dealing with harder capital to raise. Mm -hmm. So they're not looking to spend a bunch of money right now, right? If you go look at the, like Y Combinator is a startup accelerator. Uh, there's a guy named David Sachs on Twitter and they're all giving the same advice, which is like reduce your burn rate, like which is how much you're spending. So as a result, like I anticipate InsureTax won't be doing tons of acquisitions that are like not exited already. Like, uh, you know, there's other examples like Bull Penguin, for example, like we've acquired Insurion this year, yeah. right? And we've already exited. So now we have capital to do such things because we have a larger parent company. Mm -hmm. So that's a great example of what I just, just described. Like InsureTax on their own, probably not. InsureTax that are part of something bigger, absolutely. They'll be doing acquisitions because there's going to be, frankly, good deals out there. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And, and we've certainly, certainly seen the lean towards that as well. I mean, we, we've I've, you know, endlessly been talking on various podcasts about the evolution of the insure tech businesses. And, and I think Bullcrank is a really interesting example, with genius prior to that as well, is that insure tech's working with the industry, not, not fighting against it, not telling it it's obsolete, not selling it's broken, but actually saying... There, there, there's there's this role that we can play in making the the, the industry more efficient um, and more profitable, um, and and actually actually before I jump back to risk genius because because I, I want to talk about that journey because you know a lot of the people listening in are entrepreneurs or, or um, you know or, or involved in smaller insure techs and, and and it's interesting to talk to people that have gone through that journey. Um, talk, talk to me about the problem that Bold Penguins solve specifically and, and what how does the business model work? Um, yeah. Because I, I understand the part you play, but not necessarily the business model. Yeah. So to think about it very simply, before Bold Penguin and, and similar companies in our space, um, like a agent or broker that has a small business looking for insurance, that agent or broker would have to choose which carriers they want to go get a quote from. They would then log in and let's say carrier A, they log in and they enter the information in for that small business. Mm -hmm. And then they get a quote. And then they go to carrier B and they enter the information in and get a quote. And then carrier C, enter information and get a quote. And maybe a carrier D, maybe a carrier, you know, I lost track of the alphabet there. So mm -hmm. one to five carriers maybe, right? Usually they have their favorites, but like that's really inefficient to enter the information in that many times. And so, and the carrier portals in the past have been really hard to use and not real time. And you wait weeks to get a quote back, et cetera, right? So Bold Penguin, when they, what we, what we do is we allow a care or an agent or a broker um, to enter information about that business once into like a smart application. And after you've entered your information in, then you get multiple quotes back from multiple carriers, depending on which type of panel you've selected, which carrier panel you've selected. And then from there, you can pick the carrier you want to use and then bridge over to that carrier's website and bind the quote. So it just takes the process down from something that was like hours to literally minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, our successful agencies that I talked to are like, yeah, it's like a 10 minute, 20 minute, 30 minute thing um, to get this all done. And so it makes people really successful. Uh, the other part to the bull penguin platform is like when agents want 
access to small businesses, we will connect them to small businesses looking for insurance as well. So that's our Bold Penguin Exchange. The first product I mentioned to get the quotes is our Bold Penguin Terminal. Um, and there's different iterations. I can tell you about our storefront pro, which is basically now agents are kind of rolling up their own website essentially so that they can say to small business, Hey, I could enter your information in, but if you're that type of customer that wants to enter their own information in and start exploring quotes on their own, just do it on our website right here. And then you give them a link. Um, so yeah, it makes the process way, way more efficient and it's continuing to get better and better. Kind of when I look out on the horizon, I think about, um, how can we start including automated data so that if you type in your business name, it automatically classifies your business, which is a big sticking point in this whole process. Mm -hmm. uh, and then how do we pre-fill the entire application for you? Um, we're still working on that. Yeah, we, we, we have um, the guys from Relativity 6 on the, on the podcast, um, yeah. you know, looking at that, you know, that specific problem in itself. Um, yeah. Uh, it's a good story, actually, because it was just sort of the accidental iteration of the business to get to that. Uh, but yeah, I, it's something that yeah, I'm aware is a, a particular problem. Um, so Risk Genius, where you you guys were acquired in, in 2020, how long have the business been running, Risk Genius business yeah. independently? Yeah, so the business really started back in 2011. Um, mm -hmm. And it was initially like I was a surety bond attorney, which is like yep. basically like... Um, like a financial guarantee on behalf of, uh, I think of it as a construction thing, but it does lots of stuff. Yeah. So a construction guarantee. Um, so when I initially launched the company, it was called Claim Kit. And we were doing claim document and data management for large claims. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of evolved, evolved is a nice way to say pivot, which is a nice way to say, didn't have product market fit. So we had to go find something else to do. Yeah. Um, that evolved into Risk Genius in 2015. And it was actually a customer of ours at ClaimKit that said, hey, we like your document management software. Could we use this to review insurance policies? Mm -hmm. And so I said, sure. And I might be able to do you one better. Uh, what if we applied artificial intelligence to those policies to help you find the contents really fast? Mm -hmm. And so that's what Risk Genius became um, in, in the end. Um, yeah, it's like, the, it's like a insurance policy library that's super smart simple to think about it mm. and so where did the uh, what what i sort of am interested in and, and i don't know how much you can share what was that journey like from being you know ceo entrepreneur you, you've done the hard stuff in pivoting finding a product market fit uh acquisition was that always the goal to exit in that way how did that kind of how did that come about really i suppose in, in, did they approach yeah. you were you shopping it around or oh yeah yeah um, trying to think back to that time. I mean, I think an acquisition isn't typically the, the, the route that people imagine from day one. Typically you're thinking, oh, I'm just going to go IPO this, or I'm going to sell this, you know, just do a sale to some large conglomerate. Um, so an acquisition was slightly different, but it made a ton of sense at the time because uh, Bull Penguin was launching an, an insurance intelligence division, which is basically like data scientists, data analytics type stuff. And so by acquiring us, they were able to supercharge those efforts with a new product and our people that understood insurance and data science. Mm. Um, you know, this was also all happening during 2020 is when this went down. So you can imagine like it was a crazy year trying to understand what carriers were doing with budgets and projects was just a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was a, a great landing spot for us. And we were all able to kind of work together and make it make it happen. 
Mm. It was very specific in the, I was looking at the uh, the press announcement about it um, in, in part of my research, uh, just to prove we do some, uh, <laughs> but the, um, it was very specific about mentioning team and, and obviously you mentioned team now and, and that was, you know, one of the, one of the purposes of, 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 of the acquisition itself. But there's always a sort of challenge when you're, when you make those sorts of transactions, you, you sometimes lose people. Um, mm -hmm. did, did that happen to you? And and then I kind of wanted to sort of understand, how did you manage that internal communication um, to the team to say, right, this is what we're going to do, this decision yep. we're making? Yeah, I think as on the scale of like not telling anyone and being transparent, like we were somewhere like being fully transparent, knowing every single detail, which I don't mm -hmm. recommend. And I don't recommend doing it quietly either. I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. I think we were somewhere in between. So we kept our team apprised of what was going on. Um, there were definitely questions and concerns along the way. And there were definitely different opinions about, you know, what we should do. I think one of the hard things for any startup that like builds a culture of, hey, we're going to do something amazing and take on the world and go crush it is then when you get to the exit point, no matter what that exit is, there's going to be people that want to keep going, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're like, no, we got more we can do. We can go do blah, blah, blah. And so um, you're just going to run the gamut of people and how they accept it. But like, yeah, people moved over. That was one of the things that like you kind of have to, on an acquisition, you kind of have to take a leap of faith a little bit mm -hmm. that, uh, that the people are going to get treated properly. And, I, you know, everyone moved over to the Bull Penguin team. And throughout the acquisition, I was evaluating it from like three perspectives. Like, is this good for our investors? Is this good for me? And is this good for our people? Actually, people and then me. And like I added me at the end, frankly, because like I was not doing a great job of evaluating it from my own selfish perspective. I was like trying to make sure this is the right thing for our business and this is the right thing for investors to make money. Mm -hmm. And so at the end, I was like, okay, I got to make sure I make some money on this too, selfishly, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so we had to, I, I just wanted to always, you know, evaluate it from that perspective. And I think we did a good job. Good. Good. Yeah, that, that that's what I was sort of conscious of is like how transparent to be or not transparent to be. Yeah. And, and and I suppose you've also got to really be careful because sometimes these things don't happen and, and you know, you, you need to keep it under the under the hood until that happens. So it's always kind of challenging. How did you adapt to the cultural shift? Because, you know, you're joining a much larger organization. Um, yeah. And actually, I suppose specifically joining at that period of time was were you did you join when it was a fully remote situation as yeah. well? That's a great question. Like there's so many stages. It feels like there were multiple shifts in culture in a very short time period. And what I mean by that is like, first of all, you go, you know, we're at Risk Genius and we're in an office and we had this like big open office, really small for the number of people, but that was on purpose sort of. Mm. And so we were all used to sitting around and working on ideas and having fun. And then COVID hits, right? So we're all at home working, which that presented a lot of challenges. Some managers wanted people in the office, some did not. So that was always a little tricky. And then you go and get acquired by Bold Penguin in a remote environment. And so then you have to figure out, okay, I'm being acquired. I, I'm part of this new company and I'm in their new work environment, which is remote, which they're sorting out at this moment. So I have to sort out a new work environment that's new to this other company, what does this all mean, right? Mm -hmm. And then you layer on the top that Bull Penguin was then acquired by another company, American Family Insurance in February, 2021. And then you're like, okay, I just got acquired by a tech company, which got acquired by an insurance company and we're remote. What the heck is going on? So <laughs> I, I do think that like 
the, our team did an amazing job, like being flexible. Cause that's a lot of stuff to take on all at once. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, that's the time I, you know, I'm a insurance, I'm a headhunter and, and that's the time I get those phone calls um, because people are unsettled and, and people adapt to, to change and, 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 and changes in culture, changes in kind of ownership in very different ways. And, and, uh, and sometimes, sometimes people just resist against it regardless. There's, there's no way that you can manage them through it. They're just, they're just going to have to have to find that out. Um, Actually, can I ask you a quick question? I have a question please. about that as well. Like, so work workforce and how they're being deployed is like always something I'm interested in, right? And we had the, all right, let's go remote. And then we had the, let's go remote. And oh my gosh, the labor force, the labor market is very much employee friendly right now, right? And it feels like that's starting to swing back towards more um, corporate friendly, like they get to dictate the terms a little bit more, but then you're starting to see corporate trying to, to dictate, you know, going back to the office and there's a lot of pushback on that. And those plans are kind of falling apart. Mm -hmm. So what's going on right now? I'm very curious. Like, what are you seeing? Like, well, yeah, what, 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 and what do you see coming here in the next six months or so? Yeah. It's, there, there was a bit of a theme, I think, and, and it, and it's very different on the different geographies. So I, I operate across the U S and the UK, but I'm predominantly focused on the U S. Um, and I think largely, people have sort of stuck with remote but gone back to flexible and are encouraging rather than mandating going back to offices because I think that there's an acceptance that you do lose something not being in an office um definitely a, there's a there's a decent portion of the particularly large corporates mainly because they've got such an investment in real estate I would imagine uh, yeah. trying to get people back into the office uh, and drive that but that is driving people away and I, and I think the companies that have pushed really hard on that, um, are finding themselves in a situation where they're having to pivot again and actually change tactic and say, okay, we're going to do this blended uh, operation. And that's what people speak to me on the candidate side and say that they want. You know, that's what people want. They want to be treated as an individual. They've I've seen the benefits of being able to work from home, spend time with their children, you know, do a load of washing whilst you should be working, you know, like because you can put it on manager. And I think yeah, the, the 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 horse has bolted on that one. I think I think the acceptance is there. Um, going forward is a really interesting question because I was talking about this yesterday on a, on a separate podcast on the Eleven FS podcast, and we were talking about what we do badly when we talk about hiring people uh, and hiring strategy is that we, which is ironic because you know a lot of what you do, particularly when we talk, talk about product, we go right, who is our customer? What does that customer want? And and the real secret source is imagining what that customer wants in two years' time, three years' time, four years' time, five years' time. If we look at the talent we need to bring into the insurance industry um, broadly and insure tech industry, we're talking about not the people necessarily in it now, but who are the people that we need to bring in? So that might be new skill sets, um, you know, algorithmic trading people, for example, that that might be coming in, or it might be just people that are too young to currently be in the workforce that are going to join the workforce. If we start planning their customer journey and what they're looking for, it's very, very different because I think there's still an acceptance of people that, 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 that are our age that worked in offices that we kind of understand that and we kind of see a little bit of benefit. I, I think it's very difficult to kind of plan a future where you say to someone joining the workforce in five years time saying you need to come to this one location every day. And if you can't physically make it there, then you're not going to be joined. Mm -hmm. um, so 
Um, I think we're going to see more bespoke, um, but no one's quite solved the problem of how do we onboard people, particularly at the early stage of their career, if we don't have them in the office, because there's so much of that is learned by um, individuals. So it, it's an interesting question. I don't know that anyone's got the answer to it, but certainly very sporadic. I, I'm dealing with startups that are building businesses in one location and they won't hire anyone that isn't in that location. And I'm, found, I'm finding that that's very unusual for me. But um, but yeah, so the, 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 I've taken a long time to answer that question because I think I don't think there is the one answer and certainly no one's got it right. But but the blended model seems to be what people are leaning towards. Okay. Yeah. Well, how are you guys operating now? What, what's, what's been the response um, from Bold Penguin set up? These yeah, I, I, we're remote, right? So um, I'm based in Kansas City and we have people mm -hmm. all over, I think, with a focus on growing our, particularly our Ohio uh, employee base because that's where the company is founded uh, and built. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely been um, interesting to kind of watch the evolution of the remote workforce. You know, like we do these things called waddles, which is like a, a check-in on the company. Somebody gives a presentation on something. And, you know, I think the workforce, what, what they want remotely has changed so remember when we first started COVID Zooms and you would do like, like I remember still a trivia night on a Friday night on Zoom yep. with, and I thought it was the most fun thing in the world. And by week three, I was like, oh my gosh, there's nothing I want less than to be on another <laughs> Zoom after being on Zoom all week at work, yeah. like yeah. get me out of here. I want to go outside and like lay in the grass and stare at the clouds because I haven't been outside for weeks on end, it feels like. Mm. So those waddles they've gone, you know, we've had to adjust how those kind of get presented, what's presented, how many a week to present, you know, um, just so that you stay uh, keeping, you, you keep the engagement going with the employees in the right way. So uh, definitely remote though. And um, I think we're, we're at this point figured it out pretty well. Mm. I think one of the challenges is, is, is around the flexibility issue is, is timing. And I, so I have this, uh, a problem myself is that this people are working flexibly they're, they're working their own sort of hours and they're you know they're definitely I, I really like the mantra that it's about output rather than kind of hours you know and that's been a huge problem in the in the uk the uk works longer hours than most of europe and it's less uh but we produce less per hour so um there's definitely this kind of culture of being at work um but the problem is how to mandate the response to you know, you might be working a nine to five, but then your managers decided to have that more flexible output and start work later that day and then work later, but then you're getting messages about things that you're supposed to be responding to. Yeah. Um, so I do think there's a there's something to be done around controlling the kind of level of um, response expected from people if you're going to start operating a flexible culture. I, yeah. I wonder what your thoughts on how, how you manage that. Is, is, that an, is that an issue that you've ever come across? Yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a great question because like I used to work in a law firm, right? I was a lawyer and like kind of had a rule respond to any partner or customer or client within an hour, you know, yeah. like always on checking your phone and it's a little bit different at a tech company because you don't have a filing deadline for a legal case that just popped up that you have to go meet, right? It's more like building the right product, building the right marketing strategy. None of that stuff will, um, if you don't have it done at a certain time or date, none of that stuff will cause the company to shut down, right? There's no like bear barreling through the door that you have to go fight, right? Mm -hmm. There's no like 
now there are certain people that have emergencies that they have to go knock out. Like if the web goes down or um, you have a security thing, you got to go patch really quickly. Things like that pop up for sure. Customer needs service, absolutely respond really quick. So it just depends. Um, I think the other thing that has complicated this is like Slack, right? Like Slack is a weird tool because uh-huh. it like promotes always on. It's like, it's more even like they talk about email has a dopamine hit that every time you check it, you get a dopamine hit and feel good unless your inbox is empty and then you feel bad. You have any friends or colleagues emailing you. <laughs> and like yeah. Slack can make that 10 times worse because it, it depends on how it's been adopted, but like it creates this like for whatever reason, like I need to respond instantaneously. And so I've actually tried to force myself to like shut it down for periods of time and yeah. do work instead of like be on Slack and be on email. Um, Cause otherwise you can be literally checking messages and threads all day, every day. Mm. Yeah. The, the, the proliferation of like j- just different uh, communication channels has been a problem. You know, I, I started out in, in, in the recruitment industry 15 years ago and, you know, you could only get someone at their desk and now yeah. obviously you've got mobiles and, and then it became very normal for you to give out your personal mobile because it was easier. And it's a little bit closer to the, the, you know, the legal environment where you kind of almost, when you're on an assignment, you're, you're always on until you get it yeah. completed. Um, but now if I look at, you know, I've loads of WhatsApp groups with clients, I've got WhatsApp group with candidates, uh, a lot of clients want to bring me onto their Slack channel and, and Slack is actually the one thing that I've pushed back on and said, I don't want that yeah. because because it's it's another thing that let's yeah, just to shut down all comms otherwise yeah just the I mean to yeah. plug another Slack channel is like insurance nerds has a Slack channel that would be probably really beneficial for you because there's like yeah. Yeah. it's like one of the things they do is try to help people because there's a lot of jobs being lost in insure tech right now mm. so they've created a jobs board that they share out with all the different positions that are out there in insure tech so um, yeah it just depends but like. Uh, there's ways to use all that stuff. I think you just have to be very careful. Yeah, I, I've just started putting my phone on flight mode at a time yep. when I'm done, done for the day, right? And, yep. and, and because, yeah, I mean, the world's not going to end if, uh, if someone doesn't come back. You know, it's that thing if you feel that you have to respond immediately, but it's very few jobs that you actually have to do that on. So, yeah, sometimes we have to kind of put some context around and, and you know, the pandemic should have done one thing, which is give context around what's important and what isn't. Uh, and I do worry that we're slipping back to that, particularly, you know, I'm based in the UK, in London. I'm already in the situation where people are demanding I come and visit them in their office in London. Uh, mm. And I live I live 50 miles outside of London, um, at least once a week. And, and I'm thinking, well, we didn't do that for the last two years. I don't think we need to do that now, but yeah. we'll see. Um, talking about the acquisition um, of Bob Penguin by American Family um, in 2021, did you get any pushback from commercial carriers that that are your partners on on the platform? Because yeah, I would yeah. No, not really. I mean, um, I, I actually still remember calling one of my contacts and telling him about it, and he's like, "That's great. That makes sense." I mean, when you think of American Family, right? They're like initially like a home life type th- or home car insurance type thing, right? And so obviously they're trying to uh, understand and build out a commercial strategy, and bold payments part of that, but. Um, as far as, you know, it, it'd be a lot different, I think, if it was like a big name commercial insurance carrier sure. um, that had a significant portion of the marketplace, mm-hmm. then that would cause all sorts of issues. But we were able to avoid that, uh, I think, because of just how we structured it. Yeah, sure. No, it makes sense. They've been pretty active, actually, haven't they, in the insure tech space, uh, you know, whether it be some investments or, um, yeah, they, they, they've been pretty 
keen particularly in the kind of uh, yeah that investment even just as a sort of lps of funds um uh, it seems like they've got a bit more significant play than some have have you been surprised how late to the party some other sort of traditional insurance carriers you know brokers have been in terms of investing heavily into this space not i mean not really because like i don't know i think of it as like insurance is kind of a service oriented company right it's like law firms again that i mentioned in the past and so that's a certain type of business model with a certain type of margin that they're used to mm-hmm. and you know you can get the benefit of the tech without trying to buy a company right you can be a carrier on the bull penguin platform you don't have to own a platform to do that so you can get wide distribution without actually having to go invest in heavily in the technology which i think is just kind of a good play um Mm. if anything like yeah i I think that uh, yeah i i think i'll just leave it at that i was about to stumble (laughs) over some words i was going to comment on insure tech and all of that but i'm going to stay out of that morass and that (laughs) let let me drag you into it uh no i um i think uh something that we've seen is is how does where do you connect with a business you know like a like a carrier brokers um that's the thing that seems to have changed over time is is that there's much more top-down support so i think you're absolutely correct i think i think you know insurance carriers brokers of the traditional world don't have to invest they can just kind of partner with work with use um platforms um but the the sort of evolution of like innovation teams for example we're seeing those kinds of some of those teams drive a bit of a lead um mm-hmm. but basically this is never going to take off we're, we're seeing a lot more top-down support is kind of what i'm taking a long time to say um yep. for these kind of tech initiatives is that is that something you've kind of witnessed from from because you've been in the insure tech space a, a very very long time really yeah i, I mean the, in a, when i think of like the innovation teams i think most of the time it's their job is to kind of learn about what's out there and then inform up and explain that to them. It's not necessarily to go find the solution that solves problem A and embed that solution to solve problem A. I think the people that have to go do that kind of stuff are the actual um, stakeholder, right? So if somebody really needs to fix insurance policy wording, that's the person that should be doing the implementation because they can figure out what they like and they don't like and make the right decision and the right solution. Whereas an innovation person in an insurance company, certainly a smart person, but like they don't understand necessarily the ins and outs of policy wordings and how to modify those and edit those and search those. And so they can find the solutions that possibly do insurance policy wording analysis, but it's better probably to present those solutions to the stakeholder and let that stakeholder run with the solution that they want. Um, that's what I've seen from successful uh, implementations, particularly of Risk Genius, which is now called Clause Link at Bold Penguin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was reminiscing with a with someone that we figured out that we used to work at RSA, uh, the carrier, um, at the same time when we were talking about some of the ill-fated uh, technology implementations, and it was largely because of exactly that. There was there was there was a complete absence of the of, of the end user, the stakeholders. Um, yeah. I, I joined in. I, I worked in claims for a bit, for a period of time, and the big big investment in this claims new platform, and yeah. it subsequently span out that no one from the claims team had ever seen it or worked on it until it was rolled out, and, and surprise surprise, it didn't work very well. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, culturally, how have you found your customers in adapting to utilizing the technology? Because it's one thing to say, 
yes, we think this is a good idea. We're going to involve Penguin on these things. Um, and I appreciate this is this is not necessarily you seeing it. It's probably more feedback and, and talking to you know customers and partners. Um, d d is there any sort of pushback or theme, even when it's such an obviously good idea? Um, do, do you think there's a cultural issue there sometimes in insurance for adoption? Um, I, I so. And I, I just always think of like a bell curve, right? You're just going to always have early adopters that really, really get excited about it and want to give you feedback and fix it. Yep. Then you're going to have kind of middle adopters, the middle, you know, the middle of the bell curve, and they're going to be okay with it, but you only get a few tries with them. And then eventually if they don't see value, they're out. And then you're going to have your late adopters and they are not coming on board until it's like completely baked 80% of the world's using it already and they have to use it. Right. Yeah. And there's no point in trying to like get them on because they're just not interested. It's like your agency down the street that still does everything in paper. That's just mm -hmm. not going to, they're not going to be doing digital stuff anytime soon. Mm -hmm. They may be just kind of running off the clock for that family business and they're ready to let it go. Um, the, the, the opposite side of that would be, there's an agency we just talked to actually in Oklahoma on a webinar called Landis Blosh. And I just remember Austin um, and Austin Landis, and he was, you know, he's a younger guy, I think in his thirties. And he was talking about how his firm started as an oil and gas insurance agency in the 1900s, like 1900. Wow. I, yeah, they've been around for a hundred years, which would be, I guess, 1920s. And he was, so like, you can imagine all the hard parts of shifting the culture to start doing digital work, but they figured it out. And um yeah, it just, you, you have to have strong leadership that wants to do it, I think is the key. And then the rest of the employees will sort of just figure it out and make it work. Whereas if you're kind of like tiptoeing around, it just probably won't work. Mm -hmm. That's such a great answer uh, to bring in the bell shape curve, because I think we, we, I can be quite guilty myself of talking on this uh, podcast a bit dismissively uh, and, and then doing so with my guests about that kind of culture of adoption. But then I'm talking to people that are pushing the boundaries of what's happening in insur insurance and insurtech. So by nature, it's kind of all of the early adoption people. It's all the kind of the, the innovator people. So, you know, it's going to seem alien, but 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 I think those cultural shifts and what surprises me is exactly those sorts of things. Hearing stories of, um, you know, I, I deal with a with a specialist MGA that I've been doing some work for and, and outside looking in, it's a really traditional agricultural business uh, driven MGA but they're just really invested in tech from a cultural standpoint. They're like, everything they look at is like, right, how can we do it better? What can we bring on board that's going to make us better at it? Um, but you wouldn't think that necessarily. So it's really interesting. I don't think there's any rhyme or, or, or reason sometimes as to why the culture of one business is more early adoption than another, but obviously it kind of, it's, it's led by um, those decision makers. Um, do you think independent agents is obviously, uh, you know, core, um, you know, customer base, have they been well served by technology? Um, because I was going to ask you about how they've struggled to move quickly with insurance technology, but then I, I, I've definitely had a few conversations about saying they haven't been particularly well served with technology um, for. Yeah, I think most of the tech out there that came out of insure tech was not built for agents, the, especially like the companies that made, you know, took huge investments like a Lemonade or a Policy Genius. But I do think the independent, especially in the U.S., the independent agents won. They won round one, right? <laughs> if it's insure tech versus agent, agents won round one, and there's like no doubt about it. And so, and what I mean by that is like the 
look, just go look at the insure tax and their IPOs over the past year. They had these huge multiples in the, uh, when they exited. And now those, a lot of those stocks are not doing well because people don't think they're going to realize the value that they're anticipating. Mm -hmm. And so like, as a result, I think agents have kind of proven out, yeah, we're still needed. There still needs to be a person that talks to um, the business that wants insurance or the person that wants insurance. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many digital agencies I've talked to that have said, yeah, we tried the, you know, straight through processing. Uh, actually, Landis Blosh is another great example because I asked Austin this question. I was like, you know, you have a storefront now, a bull penguin storefront for your agency. So somebody can go on there and go all the way from quote to bind and be done with it without an agent. What's your experience? And he's like, yeah, we don't do that. And we don't have companies that want to do that. They still want to talk to someone even after they get their quotes so they can get their questions answered and understand what they're buying. And so I, we're just really, really far, in my opinion, from a point where, and I'm talking primarily for commercial insurance because that's where I focus, sure. right? Sure. But like, we're really far from anywhere that you can go and feel comfortable buying you know, on your own as a small business, in my mm. opinion. No, I agree. And I, I think some of that's down to kind of the third party data, you know, even as something as simplistic as, as we're saying, like actually clarifying what that business does from, you know, if we can get to the point where I can put in FinPro Search Partners Limited and it can tell me that what I do, um, because one of the, the examples I always use when I'm buying my insurance, um, you know, three person business, uh, it's limited in terms of kind of what I need coverage wise but the question that always stuck with me was this this system going well how much professional indemnity cover do you want yeah I don't know what the average claim <laughs> size is you know so what I don't know how do I yeah, you, you, you know 100%. you tell me but then I get on the phone to um uh, Markel, pick up Markel, been, been with Markel for a while. And the guys at Markel can tell me, you know, they can say, yeah. oh, you should, you probably, you, you know, you don't need very much in the UK, but if you do some work in the US, you might need a bit more. So yeah. it, it's a value added. And obviously that's me buying direct, but it, bro brokers are the same thing and they serve that purpose. And it, it, it's, it's, it's more about giving more tools um, because I, I, I definitely think with with not a comfort level yet as well for for a lot of small businesses to to be comfortable doing that straight through processing. So yep. it, even if it's there, I think um, your example there would be I would fit it with, within that. And I'm an early adopter, and I understand insurance, but I still probably want to buy my insurance for a broker um, yep. just to get that you know that advice. Um, what's conscious of time and 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 looking to you know never overstay our welcome um wanted to find out what's what's on the slate for you from a product perspective obviously that you can talk about um you know for for for, for the next 12 months um what what specifically are you kind of working on is it evolution of products or is there more kind of zero to one stuff that might come out uh, from yep. the bold penguin business yeah, so there's two things, and I'll, one is the Storefront Pro that I mentioned that just came out. So starting mm -hmm. to let people see that and understand that, it's like your own branded website where a business can go in, enter their information in, and then um, get a quote back on the other side, and even go to Bind if they really want to do that. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a lot of uptick in the use of Storefront Pro, so that's exciting. Uh, and then the second one, and this is going to be a journey to get there, is uh, access and surplus ENS, right? Because like a lot of the, you know, when you are a small business, let's say you go through and you get a declination from all the admitted carriers that are on our panel, 
well, then what, right? And that's where the ENS market comes into play. And so there's a few carriers now starting to go digital on the ENS side, like Pathpoint was the first yeah. um, ENS carrier that we've partnered with to bring on the Bold Penguin platform. So um, I, I'm really interested in how fast that process can get sped up so that, you know, to me, it should be eventually seamless where, mm -hmm. you know, you get declined on all your admitteds all right, let's give you some quotes on the ENS side. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd say that journey on the ENS quoting is like where we were at Bull Penguin probably back in 2016, right? Mm -hmm. We're like five years behind, not behind. It's just like, it just started up because it's like the next step that makes a lot of sense. Um, so yeah, those are the two things I'm thinking a lot about. The other, the third thing that I think is going to be interesting is like, and this is kind of like a macro trend that I'm tracking is like, as insure techs are cutting the spend because it's harder to raise money, I think there's a huge opportunity for the agencies out there to um, acquire digital leads and prospects in a more cost-effective manner because you don't have insure techs gobbling up all these leads via spend or Google ads or whatever it is. And so there's, I think there's a huge opportunity for the agents to really uh, fortify themselves against what is surely going to be an insure tech wave two that's coming where people are going to take what they've learned from wave one and try to apply it to wave two. And and I think in wave two, what I'm seeing is like micro digital agencies, right? Like targeting wedding planners or targeting, um, I don't know, garbage disposal companies or whatever that is, right? I'm just making up some examples. Yeah, yeah, yeah because the APIs are built out, they've been connected to the distribution platforms like Bold Penguin. The next evolution then is those microsites like the Storefront Pro that I mentioned mm -hmm. that can be spun up for individual use cases and targeting those use cases with content and really trying to, to drill in and, and get people focused in the right way. So that's kind of the three big things I'm looking at. Yeah, because it goes thematically, that, that last one particularly, I think into the sort of, when you talk about embedded and what people mean by embedded insurance and the the technology is there the connectivity is there the, the tools are there for you to say you don't have to have the audience already to sort of develop a kind of embedded type solution but you can go i think there's an opportunity here and and really your expertise is only in marketing and building an audience and then yep. you can just you can plug in that that insurance offering to it and that and that be that be your thing um and i think we're going to see more of a rise in that um someone came to me with a you know what they thought was an idea and they thought oh, i think it's going to be an mga and they were going we've got to build out our technology and we were at iti in, in new york and i went well, why? <laughs> there was like four or five businesses there that I thought that these guys have got the technology you need. They've got the some of them have even got capacity you can have you can have off off the shelf. Uh, but if not, you could connect it to a sort of a bold penguin type business to get sort of quotes on it and get it bound automatically. So, you know, I think you're right. We're going to see this new wave of people coming in that just take advantage of all those tools, put them together in a way that becomes much more competitive than it was. Yeah. Mm. Why do you think um, ENS is um, sort of that that much more behind is it just because it's more complex or yep. is, is it just complexity that's kept it there yeah, it's, or it's yeah. really complex and as i understand it it's like yeah i don't fully understand the complexity to be totally honest but as i think about one of the key differences is like they use just they're trying to really micro classify these businesses right one of the big things in 
the Bull Penguin platform is how we do a really great job with and can get better by doing a great job with business classification. So you type in that you're blah, 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 and it says, okay, it looks like you are a uh, uh, florist, right? And that's correct. Whereas in ENS, florist, there's lots of variations of florist, and they need to know those things like how many, uh, what's the flower called that? eats a Venus flytrap, right? What? Maybe there's a really big liability around Venus flytraps. I don't know. I'm just making up something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. like poison ivy. Maybe you harvest poison ivy as a florist. Yeah. And like they may need to know those things because that changes the liability. And there's a reason why that risk was declined by somebody else. And so as I think about it, they have to dig in deeper to figure out what the risk is. And so automating that's a lot harder. Yeah, no, understood. Yeah, if you're running the little shop of horrors uh, flower shop, then you uh, yeah. you know you've got to be more careful. It, it always um, amazes me, like on, uh, that I can always come up with weird use cases on the fly. Just like like the old one I used to use was like UFO insurance, like if you get abducted, which I found out was a real thing. Actually, you can buy insurance for being abducted from by a UFO down in Arizona. How does one claim for that? That's what I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> Wonderful. I love that. Um, I love that. Well, that's the sort of thing that the, the, the Luke Scar or Crop Insurance Policy should know. Um, I, I'm going to campaign for you to bring it back or or go all the way back to Dr. Drive Insurance. I think that yeah. be, that's much more fun. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. But uh, Chris, thank you so much. I genuinely, I've really been looking forward to this. I, I'm, I'm really sort of a big fan of what the Bulk Penguin business is doing. It's, 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 uh, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey to watch, and um, and it's been great to get have you on and have that particular insight on the product side. So thank you so much for taking the time out to be a guest. Thanks for having me. No, not at all. All the best. Thank you. Cool. Bye. As always, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro Search Partners, often simply known as FinPro. FinPro is an executive recruitment business working in the insurance and insure tech space on an international basis. If you would like to find out more about FinPro, please visit our website, www.wearefinpro.com or our FinPro company page on LinkedIn. I've been your host, Alex Bond, and I would personally love to connect with anyone who is interested in the changing world of insurance. So feel free to reach out to me directly, um, either on LinkedIn or via my email, uh, alex at wearefinpro.com. I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and I hope to see you back next week. Thank you.